Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, it is my great privilege to welcome Padar King. Padar King is director of KMF Productions and the presenter slash producer of the RTE documentary series, What in the World? As a commentator on international politics, he makes regular contributions to Irish broadcast and print media. He is also author of What in the World? Political Travels in Africa, Asia, and the Americas, and The Politics of Drugs from Production to Consumption, both published by the Liffey Press. And Padar King is the author of the wonderful new book we will be talking about, War, Suffering, and the Struggle for Human Rights. Padar King, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks very much, David, and uh, good to hear from you. Thanks for writing this book and for sending me a copy. I highly recommend it uh, to anyone interested in hearing some voices from places where there are wars and have been wars. Talk about how you put this book together and why you decided to produce this book. Certainly, uh, David. Uh, I think at the outset, it's important to say that uh, the conversation we're about to have is hard and, and distressing. I think to talk about war, we need to be reminded of that. Um, We're talking about the brutalization of people. We're talking about the deliberate, pre-planned, preconceived destruction of societies, communities, individuals, and families. Um, And that is distressing. Uh, And I think it's important that your uh, listeners uh, are aware of that uh, at the outside. So... You know, over the next half hour or so, we're going to confront a world that, for the most part, we turn away from. Uh, a world that we prefer not to com- to confront. Um, this is a disturbing uh, world. Uh, this is uh, a world that, for the most part, we've turned our backs on, uh, particularly in, in the Western world. Um, and it's only when it is brought to our own doors and brought to our own communities, our own towns and cities, that people begin to talk about the actual impact of the destruction of war on human beings, on civilians, uh, and and, and on people. Um, And there's another truth as well that I think is uncomfortable to confront, is that, you know, dating back to antiquity for for time immemorial, um, that human beings have delighted uh, and excelled in not just killing each other, but doing so in the most brutal and brutalizing ways imaginable. And that practice uh, continues today. And I, I, I think that ought to give us some uh, pause for thought. We need to stop and think about that and think about our proclivity for destruction, for the infliction of pain on others, uh, for then the district and, and for the kinds of justifications that we offer then uh, for, for, for that killing. So, in a way, When I set out to write this book, uh, David, I set out to tell that story um, as 
coldly and um, but not dispassionately uh, as as I possibly can um, or as I possibly could. Um, and I wanted to try to demystify war, to uh, which for the most part has been very sanitized in the way in which it is presented to us and the way in which we're asked to believe in it. And you know, we're we're told that it's uh, that war we're is a heroic something heroic. I, I remember being really struck by in Washington one day. I I, I was standing waiting for the train. And I, there was a, a young soldier, a young man in uniform on his own. Uh, and this woman came up to him and said, thank you for keeping us safe. He said, you're welcome, man. And you're welcome, ma'am. And I, I was wondering in that context who the us was that she referred to. Um, is that an exclusive us that referred to the people in the United States? Uh, or was that a universal of? And if it were the universal of, do soldiers make us safe? And the answer to that is no, that's not the case. This particular young man, and I'm not apportioning blame on that particular young man, but he was a kind of generalized soldier. Uh, and the way we defer to these uh, soldiers in the belief that they are making us safe. When the opposite is um, when, when the opposite is the case, uh, so I suppose that is the story I wanted to tell in this book, and it's based, as you mentioned, on the travels uh, uh, I have been involved in as part of the Global Affairs series for Irish Television, What in the World, which has brought me to conflict zones uh, right across uh, right across the world. It's, it's a very interesting comment at this point in time, Padar King, that because we now have U.S. troops on the streets in Washington and around the United States with guns and absolutely unheard of outrage and opposition. Uh, it is so inappropriate to have soldiers with guns on streets and soldiers who don't have badges and don't tell you who they are and so forth. And there was an op-ed in the New York Times that says, send in the troops to U.S. streets and the outrage absolutely unheard of, whereas you've had op-eds in the New York Times saying bomb Iran, bomb Iraq, bomb Afghanistan, no objection, no outrage, uh, at least at this level. Uh, and soldiers on the streets of, of Kabul and, and Baghdad have never had badges and had to identify themselves and answer to the people they're, right. they're, they're abusing. Uh, what, what do you make of uh, you know, this, this appropriate, I think, outrage that there would be war-making in the United States uh, and and the lack of connection, uh, the, the the bizarreness of this notion that these soldiers ought to be abusing people far away instead of here. Uh, I, I agree, but I also think, uh, David, it is important to acknowledge um, the outrage uh, and and the sense of anger um, that is not just evident currently in the United States, but. I live here in Cork, it's the second city uh, in um, in Ireland, um, and there's a march going on at the moment, uh, notwithstanding the restrictions from COVID-19, uh, and there's a march going on in this city as well, it's a march of solidarity 
with uh, the events that are uh, currently unfolding in the United States. And also, uh, it's in recognition of the appalling killing, cold-blooded, deliberate killing of George Floyd. Uh, and it's a march of solidarity. So, so I think uh, it is a it, it is good at the moment that we have examples of outrage that people are angry, um, and that while that anger, as you rightly point out, is around the threat or the increased threat of militarization within the United States, I think that is a good basis in which to open up the discussion then about the. Um, the uh, militarization uh, and the reliance on military power and military might as a way of, of, of uh, dealing with other uh, critical issues um, internationally. And I think the, the, that recognition is something that um, I, I, I think is, is, uh, is very, very welcome. Um, and if one counter to this a notion as well of that uh, that war and militarization is the most appropriate and indeed the inevitable response to uh, to to, uh, to social issues. Um, at the risk of digressing, um, I, and in preparation for this uh, interview, uh, I, I, I was thinking of one of the great plays in the uh, canon of Irish literature. Uh, play by John Millington Singh called The Play by the Western World. Um, and there is a scene in it in which uh, a hitherto um, somewhat gauche young man by the name of Christy Mann flees his own village and uh, having thought he had uh, other, and he arrives in this new village, in this other village then, and, and he's immediately hailed as a heroic figure as he dared to do the unthinkable, which was to, to kill his father, uh, whom he claimed was an abusive uh, father. And he becomes the, 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 the playboy of the Western world from which, uh, from which the, the, the play gets its name. And he is he's a killer. Yeah. He is hailed as a heroic figure. Um, and there's a wonderful line in it, if I can quote uh, from the play, where he is constructed as, a quote, a fine, handsome young fellow with a noble brow. If the poets are your life, fine, fiery, or fiery fellows with great rages when their tempers are aroused. And that's how the military are construct people who are prepared to kill. That kind of heroic. But then, say, the father, Uh, and we see it then in, in other countries, 
get a lot a lot more uh, attention. So coming back to um, the question you raised about events unfolding in the United States at the moment, maybe now we see that invoking a militarized response is not is not a gallant thing to do, and that when people see very close at hand how heavily armed either police or military, uh, very uh, heavily armed military, how they deal with personnel on the street. Maybe that shift between the gallant heroic figures to the dirty deed and the reality of that, maybe, maybe that can happen now. And maybe we can begin, those of us who are opposed to militarization and those who are opposed the endless are unfolding right across the globe. Maybe we can begin to use the reality of war. I, I certainly hope so. Uh, and, and perhaps healthcare workers and other people doing actually useful services can be seen as as gallant. It seems the the the. The turning point in the story you just gave us was the appearance of the victim in the story, uh, whereas per- previously only the perpetrator had made it into the story. And then that's the difference here in, in Minneapolis and in the United States, that there are stories of victims. And that seems to be a large part of what your book does. You go to 13 different countries and and you tell people stories and let people tell their stories uh, and we we hear something of what war does to the people who who live where the wars are happening can you give us an, an example or two of of the stories that you tried to 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 convey in this book yeah, I'm certainly uh, happy to do that one of the one of the lines I've heard from people uh, and it was a, a woman in, in uh, Afghanistan who said to me that, you know, in war, the injured envy the dead. It's a line that, that has very much stayed with me uh, from uh, quite, quite a lot of uh, the conversations. And I've had numerous conversations with people who were the victims of war. Um, and that line comes from Malalai Joya, who's one of the best-known human rights advocates uh, within um, uh, Afghanistan. She's spoken quite a lot uh, on, on a number of occasions in the United States. Uh, Chomsky uh, has referenced her, uh, the voice that we need. So Malalai Joya is one of, one of those uh, prophetic voices uh, that has uh, that is emanating from uh, from um, uh, Afghanistan, um, and and talks about the weight of imperialism, uh, be that Soviet imperialism or uh, U.S. imperialism, on the people uh, within within the country and and within Afghanistan. That is what you have, where very often the injured envy the dead, um, and also. In those stories, and I, I come back to specifics on, on, on these stories in, in, in a moment, David, but what you get a sense of is of people, of the insufferable pain that people have to endure. That the legacy of war lives on long after the bombs have dropped. Um, and when we think about war and the statistics of war, we tend to focus on the fatalities. Um, 
and we very seldom count because it's not all it's not possible to count the the injured um and i remember uh, a young woman uh, again in um uh afghanistan Baziri uh, Sultani, she uh, she lost her husband and her son in uh, a bomb that dropped on their house at about two o'clock in the morning, um, and she had like eight operations. She was twenty, and she was left with uh, one child, but she could she could barely move. She, it pained her when she was sitting. It pained her when sitting, uh, it pained her when she was lying down. And I have this image of uh, having completed the interview and having talked to her about the whole experience of uh, floundering in the immediate aftermath of the bomb uh, dropping in her house, where the place was in total darkness, the, the building had collapsed, there was shrapnel, there was uh, mortar all over the place, and she's struggling to find her phone to try to get a light to try to see what was happening around her, and then realizing that she wasn't uh, she wasn't able to move. So she told us that really shocking, disturbing story. The end. As we drove away, and she was sitting by the shell of a house, what was her house, looking into the mid distance, and I, I, I was deeply moved by that. That drive away, we were privileged by our Western uh, origins, we're privileged by the colour of our skin, we're privileged by our education, we're privileged by our profession as journalists, and he was this young woman whose story will never be told um, other than uh, the one that we told, and she was left there just staring into the into the distance. And I've often thought about her, thought about um, what what her life is like um, because of that insufferable pain that she talked about. Um, and then the sheer loss uh, and waste of, of a life of her husband, who is a math teacher, and, and her, her, her other child. And that's just the physical pain. The emotional pain as well that uh, she had to endure uh, is, for the most part, you know, uh, it's beyond imagining. As are, as beyond imagining, it must be the countless hours of sweated nightmares that she had um, and that she has to, to endure uh, all, all the time. Um, it's fun, I, mean, I hadn't, it's not funny, but it, uh, she just came to mind spontaneously as we are talking. Uh, because there are numerous examples in, in this book of people that I could uh, talk uh, about. Um, one uh, story in Aleppo really, really uh, stands out as well. Um, it's the story of a young woman, 26 years of age, Syrian young woman. She was an international basketball player. And one day... In the midst of the war, when you know life goes on in in in, in ways that I suppose that are hard for us to imagine, just so she went to a, a men's basketball uh, game, and after the game, she was walking through Sadala Square uh, on on her way home, and as she walked through the 
where there was a sniper standing or sitting in a building overlooking the, 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 the square. And I've tried to imagine what this scenario was like. I can imagine him sitting there or standing there with a telescope. And he's moving the gun from person to person throughout the, the square. And he's still on this woman, uh, Noor Aslo. And he trains the telescopic lens on her heart. And then he puts his hand on the trigger. And I don't know if any moment of doubt or if he faltered at any moment or if he was absolutely certain that this was whose life he was about to end. And he puts the his finger, index finger, on the trigger and he pulls it. And he hits her straight in the heart and kills her. And we talked to our parents. And they were utterly distraught. I mean, utterly distraught at the death of her sister and, and, and their daughter. And in Aleppo at the time, uh, because the shelling and because the attacks were so intense, it was very, very dangerous to bury your dead. So right throughout um, Aleppo, uh, during those intense shelling moments, uh, people buried their dead as they could in you know barely covered uh, graves because they didn't have time to dig a proper grave and, and to bury the person. And then when uh, the shelling stopped uh, in uh, in Aleppo uh, in around October 2017, we were there the following year. So what people ha- did was exhumed the bodies and and gave them a, a proper burial. And that was the kind of the double traumatization of these uh, of these people. Um, and then they took us to the grave where they prayed, and we filmed. And then while we felt the films were somewhat invasive, although they were happy for us to do it, and we, we, we moved back and just and just left them be. And that has replicated hundreds of thousands of times right across the world. Hundreds of thousands of times, possibly millions of times, and. That's the story we don't hear because what we get is a very sanitized version of it. And I remember uh, equally uh, in uh, Baghdad uh, a similar story, but this time where the shelling had started just as George W. Bush declared war on, 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 on Iraq. And yet, despite the fact that war was uh, uh, talked about and uh, almost expected or seen as inevitable when it actually hit the people of Baghdad uh, they, they, they were completely taken by surprise and I just, sometimes I think it's the equivalent to if a loved one is dying um, and while you might be anticipating the death or even expecting the death that the moment of death when it arrives is always a shock and it's always because it's the ending of a life so when the bombs rained down on this uh, family, uh, her house was destroyed. And she took shelter uh, under a kind of awning within the house because she thought that was the safest 
she, along with her two small children. And they were there for two to three days. Now, again, it's really, really hard to imagine um, what it must have been like for a mother, Tamira Dawid, with two young children, to try to reassure and comfort them as bombs rain all around you. And to to be in that position for two to three days, which must seem like an eternity, without food or without water. And I remember that night going home to our hotel and thinking about that story. And I remember thinking, I wonder when George W. Bush declared war on Iraq and on the people of Baghdad, how, how did he imagine that? How did he justify that? Um, and if you've time, uh, David, I, I'd like to read just a very, very short clip. So this is what uh, President Bush had to say. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operation to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. The people you will liberate will witness the honorable and decent spirit of the American people. And, 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 he, and he continued in, 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 in that way. I think that's an outrage. It's a lie. But we know that wars, all wars, are based on lies. I think it ought to be an outrage. And I think the decent people and the decent spirit of the American people, which he invoked, ought to be outraged that his policies have resulted in the destruction right across the Middle East, but in this case has resulted in a mother and two children taking shelter for two to three days under an awning in front of their house while bombs rain uh, about them. Um, and that's the reality of war. And that's something I think that uh, people ought to be uh, outraged about and begin to imagine a world where that is not the norm, that is not inevitable, that is not the way in which we want to organize the world and organize uh, and, and resolve conflict uh, within, within the world. It's a, it's a stunning story, Padar King, and it's one of many stunning stories in this wonderful book uh, that I highly recommend everyone get a copy of. It's called War, Suffering, and the Struggle for Human Rights by our guest, Padar King. It's, it's also, Padar, uh, hard to imagine George W. Bush having uh, engaged in those policies had he viewed people in Iraq as uh, so-called white people, the George W. Bush, who has now supposedly been rehabilitated in U.S. society by calling Donald Trump a racist. Uh, uh, I, I can't recommend the book highly enough, War, Suffering, and the Struggle for Human Rights. Padar King, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. David, thank you very much for your time.
This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.